Welcome to the Unleash Your Vlog Podcast. I'm your host, John Meese. And I'm your co-host, Danny Coleman. We are here to teach you all about how to turn your blog into an online business, even if you only have a few hours a week to spare. You will be getting a behind-the-scenes look at what strategies are working right now for real-life bloggers, people just like you. I hope you're ready, because we are about to unleash your blog today. In 2012, a study found that at least 81% of bloggers online who are trying to build a business never make their first $100. And if that's true, then that's something we need to stop. So in this episode, we're going to be talking specifically about how to address that, how to make your first $100 from your blog. So I'm really excited about this because we're going to be sharing four specific strategies uh, that we've used and teach you how to use those in your own business and apply those so you can make your first or your next $100 online right away. But first, a quick word. You need a website platform that makes it incredibly easy to create content, grow your audience, and build a real business from your blog, which is exactly why you need a WordPress theme from Notable Themes. Head to meese.tips themes to find your Notable theme today. This is episode number two of the Unleash Your Blog podcast, and today we're going to be talking about how to make your first $100 from your blog. Uh, the core message here that we're talking about is that this is possible because um, this is an important barrier to overcome. When you're first getting started, when you when you want to turn your blog into an online business, that first $100 may not make a massive difference in your home life or your business, but what it does is it, it essentially breaks a seal um, to show that you can build a business from your blog. Uh, I mean, this is there's a 2012 study, which we'll link to in the show notes, but there's a 2012 study that was of over 1,000 bloggers that they surveyed and analyzed online and found that 81% of them hadn't made their first $100 online. Hmm. Out of the other, I guess, 19%, uh, a huge chunk of them had, were making a huge, I don't know the exact number, but a huge chunk of them were making a full-time living off of their blog. So it's almost like the $100 is like the first kind of the first milestone you have to pass to break the seal of showing what is possible with your business, not only to train yourself to think of it as a business and to make a little bit of cash, but also to make sure your your audience understands. I mean, that's you're right. basically training your audience to teach them like this is a business. Like right. we we sell things, we make money. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Right. So we're going to go over four different strategies in terms of how this is going to cover basically how to get that first one hundred. And um, I like the fact that you picked that one hundred dollar price point because it definitely seems really attainable. But at the same time, an accomplishment. It's like when you set you know, like your uh, your goal just to go to the gym five times that day, you know five times that week, rather than necessarily losing you know x amount of pounds mm-hmm. or gaining or putting you know, putting up so much weight. So that makes sense. So I like that. I like the one hundred dollar price point. Cool. Well, so let's talk about strategy number one. So this first strategy is important, and it, you won't actually make any money in this strategy. But this is where it's, it's all about knowing your audience. Before you can sell anything to your audience or make any money from business, you have to know who you're serving. So if you're blogging about a generic stuff that doesn't have a clearly defined audience, this is the first thing you have to fix. You have to get clarity on who is it you're trying to help. Is it small business owners? Is it, uh, you know, I actually, this morning I heard an interview with a woman who runs a consulting practice just working with people who want to start their own yoga practice. Like, so it's mm-hmm. just working with, they call it yogipreneurs, you know, people who are like building huh. a, like a yoga practice. So yeah. like you want, you need to know, like that's, that's good. That's really clear. That's what you want. You want to know who is you're trying to help. And a great way to do that is, um, of course, if you already have clarity on this, awesome, but there's always room to get to know your audience better. And so one of the ways that I do this in my business and the businesses that I work with is to make sure first and foremost, 
that there's uh, a clarity across the brand. Okay. So then I know that you said in the previous episode that you had some hobby blogs. Mm-hmm. When uh, when you crossed that threshold, I guess, like what, what was that – what did that look like for you? Like when you went from hobby blog, like you're talking about, which is not very specific and you got specific, like when did you decide that you felt clear about who you were going to be speaking to? Oh, that's a great question. I think in my case, the first time I started, I actually started making money off of my blog when my tagline on my blog was still turning complex into simple, which I mean, is catchy, yeah. but like doesn't really mean anything. Um, it doesn't really make it clear who you're trying to help. But what I did was I, I created a targeted landing page to very specifically say, I help people who use the Get Notice theme improve their website. You know, I meet with them for one hour session and they pay, I think it was like $297 and you get a one hour session with me on video where I give you a live tour of the back end of, of my website. Okay, and you got to that from your friends. You, you, I'm thinking about yeah. from last episode, you talked about your friends who kept asking you to do this for them and you decided... That's who, you, that's who you need to be writing to. Yes, right? yes. Okay. Although I will say, if I were to do it over again, I would get some clarity early on. I'm like, like, well, like you're doing, Danny. So why don't you talk briefly about who your target audience is for your blog? Sure, yeah. So I'm targeting small business owners, and I'm specifically interested in like the blue collar, like the labor industry, so like plumbers, painters, contractors, construction, stuff like that, real estate. And so uh, what I recently did is I actually used uh, Typeform, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great, great service. We'll talk a little bit about, more about that later. But Typeform was a great survey. I, put it, I used it to put uh, a survey together, sent it out to well, – actually, I posted it online at first. didn't really get any bites. I don't really have that big of a presence yet. But I found what was really pertinent was just sending it directly to people, small business owners that I know. And I actually got like 99% like response rate from, from directly emailing it to people who I knew, people who I may have had conversations with, but then got specific answers from using the survey. So you may have had a lot of conversations with a lot of people. That's kind of what I learned. I've had lots of conversations with small business owners, but there wasn't really anything that made me feel quite as confident and uh, I guess made me feel really articulate mm-hmm. as does like the results of a survey may do. Yeah, no, that, I think that's great. So that's one of the things I would say at bare minimum, you have to do this at least once a year, a bare minimum. Really, you should be doing this once a quarter. You should be surveying your audience. Typeform is a great tool. That's what I use too. You can check it out at meistip slash typeform. And it's really just an easy to use survey platform. But I like best about it is what it presents to your subscriber or to your whoever's filling out the form. Mm-hmm. It's just so, they call it type form because like literally you don't have to touch the keys to take the form. Like you just, you type your answer, you hit enter, you know, some if it's multiple choice, you can hit a key to pick it. Or it's good on mobile too. We won't get into too much of the software technical stuff, but basically it's a really easy survey platform and it allows you to ask your audience questions. You should ask a good mix of multiple choice questions, which are easy to answer and also easy to uh, interpret you can just look at percentages of who answered what, and you should have some open-ended questions. How long? How how long should it take someone to fill out a survey? So this is something that I'm a little bit of a cynic about. I really think when you're just starting out, your audience should be able to finish your survey in three minutes or less. Okay, so and, yeah. nothing too meaty. No, trying to get you know. Yeah. So and and we're grinning. I don't know if you can tell, <laughs> but because Danny's, I told Danny that the survey was too long, but. Um, the, the reason why this is, is when you're just getting started with surveying, you're basically creating, you're asking your audience to just give you time. I mean, just like give right. you their time yeah. without necessarily anything promised in return. And so, sure, it'll help you help them. And that's a good way to present it. It's like, hey, it'll help me help you. But that only goes so far. Right. So what I recommend when you're just getting started out, you have a question that's, it's probably a 10 to 15 question survey. 
And of those, you would probably have at least 75% of them be multiple choice. And you want a couple open-ended questions. So as far as the multiple choice ones, you just got to be selective. What do you want to know about your audience? And that a lot of that depends on where you're at right now. If you're trying to decide which direction to go in, like whether to help, like uh, in your case, Danny, it's like let's say that, you, Danny, you were trying to decide if you want to focus more on plumbers right. or like realtors, right? Mm-hmm. Well, so that should be one of the first questions in your survey. What industry are you in? Yeah. And you can have multiple choices there. And what you should do is instead of having a multiple choice survey that has like, well, there's another thing. People must make the mistake of they'll have a multiple choice question that has like 26 options, which I yeah. think is the max that Typeform lets you. <laughs> instead, you should have the four or five that you think most of your audience would fit into mm-hmm. and then have the other option. And within Typeform, the, like if they click other, it pops up and asks them to like type, you know, an answer like what is. Uh-huh. But back up the question, which was how long should your survey be? So right, yeah. 10 to 15 questions. <clears throat> you should test it yourself. Literally, before you send it to anyone, open it in a new tab and take the survey as if, like, I do this before I send out every single survey. I take the survey as if I were just some guy. Actually, usually I, I put, like, a, a random name in there for somebody. Mm-hmm. But, well, actually, usually I put Josh Groban. But, um, <laughs> so I'll go through it. I'll answer the you survey. Wish, you wish. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, that actually does a couple things. It lets you see the experience on their side and get to know, like, okay, like, is this easy to answer? Is this, uh, does this take very long? But on the back end, you can actually tell. You can actually look at your results and you can tell exactly how long it took you to fill out the survey. Mm-hmm. And so then, then you can know that going forward. Okay, I want this to take, I mean, realistically, it needs to take less than five minutes for someone mm-hmm. to fill out your survey. If you want to go more in depth, what you need to do is schedule something with a person one-on-one. Yeah. Um, and I love the way Pat Flynn still does this. Pat Flynn from smartpassiveincome.com has a massive following, very successful business, and still... Every month, I don't know if it's every week or every month, but he makes time regularly to reach out to a random person on his email list and say, hey, I'd love to jump on a Skype Skype call and just talk about your problems. Yeah. And what he does is he asks them a bunch of different questions just to get to know them. Mm-hmm. And he makes it a, it's a regular practice because if you just do that like once with one person, that doesn't tell you anything about your audience. That just tells you something about that one person. You know, like you might meet with one person on a video call and be like, oh, well, you're a realtor who's trying to figure out how to you know scale beyond making hundred thousand dollars a year? Mm-hmm. Well, that must be my whole audience. You know, like, no, well, that's that's not. You know, it's just a single data point. But what he does is he makes it a regular practice, so he's getting a little bit more clarity every single time he meets with a subscriber about what their problems are. And so this all comes back to just the general strategy we're talking about, which is knowing your audience. Right. Yeah. So that's really more of a long term thing. And mm-hmm. from from my world, we call those customer development interviews. Mm-hmm. So I guess really it's like you know for for the blogging space, it's going to be more like audience development interviews. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, there's definitely a lot of information you can gather just from having a sit down conversation with the one person. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you go into it with the mindset of not you know knowing this does not describe my entire audience. But what you are going to get there are some common denominators. Oh, yeah. When I should do surveys more often, like especially if you're doing them like once a quarter or you know, once you've been doing this for a while, you can also look at commonalities between the conversations you've had with people as well as the survey results. Because if you're getting survey results from 50 or 100 people each time and you've got four or five surveys under your belt, you can look at the common themes and go, man, even over time, one of the common themes that I've seen is a ton of people who are in my audience they have a blog already. Like it's like 90 something percent already have a blog. So they're not looking at figuring out like how do I create one? But their questions usually come back to how do I make money for my blog? Or how do I get more clients? Or um, when should I sell my first product? You know, that kind of stuff. And so this, I mean, that's actually what caused us to create this podcast. It was like, man, we need to talk about this stuff more. Right. So you look for the common themes, but that comes back to knowing your audience. But I think that's a good introduction. Basically the action step on that, I would say is right now, find a way to get to know your audience better. 
If you have just started or just sitting out and you have like three people who read your blog, great. Call those people or email them and say and get them on a video call so you can you can find out more about them and what their problems are, what makes them tick. If you're just getting started and don't have an audience at all, you have to find somebody who is basically the example of like your ideal customer or your ideal audience member in your mind. Mm-hmm. And then you meet with them. So Danny, you're just getting started out. But this is what you do with the survey is you get you an in-depth survey with yeah. people that you knew, business owners, and then you went and sat down with some too. Yeah. When you, and to talk to them about some of their problems to get to know them. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely it I think I might have mentioned last time my biggest holdup uh, was was feeling like I wasn't quite clear on who I was speaking to. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my head, I, I realized that it was my father-in-law, who was a painting contractor who I'd worked for before in my life. And then once I got clear on that, I haven't actually got him uh, to fill the survey out yet, but I, I will. <laughs> um, but once I had that in my head, I knew exactly who I needed to send those surveys to in the first place, mm-hmm. which is why I sent it out to 10 people and I got nine back. And I still have a few more out there. I'm getting a few, a couple other back. But, that's, but just having that information to start with is really kind of helping me not only just know my audience, but also know, you know, what kind of content should I start, you know, start writing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I would say the action step is, is write, get to know your audience. If you already have at least hundred email subscribers, create a type form survey and send it out. Like yeah. boom, just do that. Keep it short, learn what you can, get started. Uh, that's a pretty thorough covering of yeah. that strategy. Yeah. So that's strategy number one. So strategy number two is serve your audience. So tell us a little bit more like what this looks like, especially in the early stages. Yeah, so this has to come after strategy number one, right? You have to know your audience. But once you know who they are, like in my case, once you know there's someone who has a blog and wants to go to online business, but they're trying to figure out how do I generate sales, leads, get more customers, actually turn this into a business, right? Or in your case, Danny, where it's someone who's a plumber or a realtor or they're a painter and they're going, man, how do I manage the cash flow of my business and how do I grow up and start accepting credit cards and debit cards mm-hmm. instead of just checks? Like all those things. Well, once you know that, all you do is you just answer those questions. Like all those questions I just mentioned are things that you then answer in blog posts or podcasts or videos. But serving your audience has to be the perspective you use when you go to create content. Every time you sit down to create content, you need to think, man, how do I serve my audience today? Now, this is important for a number of reasons. It keeps your heart in the right place so that you're actually helping people. Right? Right. That's important. Yeah. But it also builds trust with your audience. When your audience comes to you and they find your blog and they start reading this stuff and they go, man, this is helpful. Man, I need to know this. I trust this Danny guy or I trust this John guy. Mm-hmm. Like it allows you to, it allows you to build trust with them. If you start with a sale before you build trust with someone, you won't make it. Like you just won't. Yeah. I mean, and I think that like really this, this is how you be. A, this is how you're a good person too. I mean, people like to spend time around genuine people. So talking about what you're passionate about and then looking to to serve people with whatever it is that you know, you know, genuinely wanting to help people. That's that's not only are they going to like you, but they're going to trust you too. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it's important. So serving your audience is key for many reasons. Of course, there's a lot of tangential benefits. I mean, if you're essentially content marketing by creating blog posts or podcast episodes or videos then you're building an audience and that allows you to build your email list, build your social media following. So once you are ready to actually sell something, great, you can do a better job out of it. And I guess I do need to clarify here, I'm not saying you need to spend a year just serving your audience and creating blog posts before you make money online. No, I think you can make your first $100 within a month after you started blogging. Okay. I, it's totally doable. I was going to ask you that. So, yeah. so how, how can it be that soon, really? Because it does seem a little bit like unreal. Well, you can do it. I will say, I mean, a lot of that depends also how much energy you're putting into your blog, uh-huh. how much do you already know about your audience, how many connections do you already have. You can definitely make your first $100 within three months. 
if you've taken longer than three months, you're probably doing something wrong. Full disclosure, I did something wrong. It took me a long time to make my first hundred dollars online, but that's because I didn't, I didn't think of it as a business. I didn't approach it that way, and I wasn't trying to reach targeted leads. I, I just kind of wrote, and I, I wrote about stuff all over the place. Mm-hmm. So once I actually targeted my stuff, then yes, great. But what we're going to talk about the next two strategies are actually two specific different strategies you can use to make that first hundred dollars. But this is all basically the pre-work because you have to make sure that you know your audience. You have to make sure that you're serving them so you've built trust with them. And once you've established in, in your mind that you are doing both of those, then you can create opportunities for your audience to just meet you in the middle. I mean, you're already creating value for them. Right. And the way that they can meet you in the middle is by actually giving you some sort of compensation by following your advice. Okay, gotcha. So basically what we're looking at now is offering your time in some type way or another. Yes, that's strategy number three. Let's go ahead and dig into that. So the reason why this is one of the strategies I want to bring up first is because it is the easiest to start with. Offering your time is not, in the long run, the best way to build an online business because it's not scalable. You only have so many hours in a day. But when you're just getting started out, you need to break this seal of your first $100 as soon as possible. And to do that, the best way to get started is to offer your time. Now, to do that, of course, you need to position yourself as an expert. You can't just say, you can buy me, you know, like for an hour. Like, you need to actually have some sort of value added that you're trying to sell. Yeah. So, like, so how do you, my, my question there is, I, I earlier on, um, I've not mentioned this before, like on the, on the podcast, but earlier on, I, I, was, I had a company that you was myself, mm-hmm. and I thought about that. I knew about, you know, the idea of uh, making myself out to be or, or establishing myself as a subject matter expert. Mm-hmm. But I found that I was torn then between serving, you know, so doing some of these things like you're talking about, serving my, my, offering my time, which I was doing, but that tore me away from the time that I would have otherwise been spending, like writing blog posts and creating content mm-hmm. and whatnot and, and establishing myself as a subject matter expert. So how do I, I guess, how, how does one balance that? Because obviously I messed it up before. I think I've got a clearer idea now, but how do you, I guess, how do you do both those things at the same time? That's a really good question. I will say, I think you need to do both. First of all, I'll say that if you are just creating and never actually serving your audience through some sort of paid service or product, then you're doing both yourself and your audience a disservice. Mm-hmm. Because there's a higher quality relationship that comes in. There's a high level of commitment that comes in when someone actually pays money to see results right. and allows you to learn way more about your audience than you ever could from just like a survey, for example. So by selling something, you're actually getting to know your audience better, you're serving them better, and then the, you're also getting compensated in the back end. But of course, what you're saying is true is also that if you just sell services all the time and you don't actually create content, mm-hmm. then your business isn't really going to grow other than based on for referrals, which is a valid technique. It just has its limits. So as far as how to balance that, I think that, I mean, I hate to say like, it depends, but the reality is like a lot of it varies in like how much time do you have to spend on mm-hmm. this business? You know, if you've already got a full-time job and you just have, let's just say five hours a week to spend on this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. well then I would say you should probably spend only one or maybe two hours of that five actually selling your time and offering your time. Okay. What I would do is when I, when I had, when I only had five hours a week to go to my own business, I accepted one coaching session a week, max. And that was one person getting on a call for an hour to talk about online business stuff or the inner scene, whatever we were doing. Mm-hmm. The rest of it was time that I set aside for writing blog posts and improving my website, find, growing my email list, helping out in the forums, that kind of stuff. Things that like established me as a thought leader. So, I mean, if we were to expand that, then I guess that's you spend no more than 20% of your time with services. And I think that's a, you know, that's, I'm just pulling that out of thin air, but. Based on my experience, I do think 
that seems like a reasonable metric. Uh, and honestly, 20% of your time, if you're working full-time in your business, mm-hmm. 20% of your time may be too much. So it just been on services. So it's something you have to evaluate as you go, but when you're just getting started out, I would say 20% is a good kind of rule of thumb. Okay. Yeah, so basically, you're offering your time. I, I assume a lot of this kind of thing that you would do when you're offering your time, you'd more or less consider it like a coaching session, right? Like you're not, I think one problem that I had was going in and I found myself getting a little bit sucked into their business. So really, you need to approach this from a kind of like a coaching aspect. If you're, if you're going to be yeah. spending time with whoever it is, uh, you know, if you're offering your time, it needs to be something very clear cut with the expectations defined, right? Yeah, I think... So what I would say is the easiest way to get started is to create a clarity profile. Now, uh, you can go to meets.tip slash clarity to see mine and to get an example of the platform. But it's basically, it's a platform for people to sell their expertise. And one of the things I love about it is that it's so clear. I mean, Mm -hmm. well, first of all, the name is Clarity. But second (laughs) of all, it's like literally what you do when, when someone signs up to book your time is they get... They get a unique number to call to jump mm-hmm. on the phone with you at a scheduled time. And so it's they just get to talk to you on the phone. Now you get to control what's in your profile as far as like what topics you cover, what your expertise is, that kind of stuff. But it limits the relationship in a way that you're just talking so they know like what they're doing is they're coming to you with questions and you're giving them advice. Right. So Clarity is an, is an important a platform to get that started, to, right. to really move down that way to, to clarify your expectations. Because you're right, the tricky part about like hands-on consultation work, like right. when you're creating a website for someone, or you know maybe you're coming in to help review everything that they do, and then give them like a, a mapped-out plan for mm-hmm. how to improve that. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to get caught up in the weeds, as you would might say, yeah. of the details of what's going on in their business, and get so sucked into that you can't grow your own. Right. So personally, I think clarity is a great way to start. And then what you can do is as someone, maybe as someone becomes a repeat customer with Clarity, you can talk to them about how to take it deeper if it seems clear to you that they were an ideal customer. There's reality error. There's a lot of people you're going to talk to that they'll ask for your advice, you'll give it, and then they won't act on it. And like that, honestly, unfortunately, like that's the case. Like I give people a lot of advice in coaching sessions and then I'll go back and check on their website later and it's like they just didn't do anything. (laughs) And sometimes like I'll email them and follow up like, hey man, how's it going? You know, they're like, oh yeah, I've just been so busy. Like I just haven't had time to, you know, it's fine. You know, people are busy. The reality is like, if you get yourself into an ongoing relationship with that person as a, like a client coach relationship, it's really frustrating. Like I, I used to meet with, I used to have some coaches or some clients I met with on a weekly basis. Uh-huh. And I'd be like, all right, here's your action steps for this week. And you know, it's a week's not a lot of time. So it's just a, a few things, but we follow up. I'm like, all right, where are you out of those things? They're like, oh, well, I, uh, I was busy. So I didn't like get to, it's right. like, well then why am I here? You know what I mean? A word of warning then. If, if, if you're doing a coaching session with John Neese, he will be checking up on you. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So yeah. Okay. Um, so, so we're offering your time. And by the way, on clarity, if, if you aren't already familiar with what that is, and while we're, we're definitely recommending that you use it as a platform and, and, and uh, I'm, I'm doing myself, John, John gave me the great advice as well. I would say do a few calls first. Mm. Be the receiver on that a few times before mm. you get your platform uh, on there. Because first of all, you want to know what what it's like for the other person. Second of all, it's just a good practice, I think, in general. It's like you know, give and take. Because obviously, if, if you're just now starting out on Clarity, you probably can find some experts out there on Clarity who oh, yeah. will give you some tips on how to get on Clarity. So That's I definitely true. recommend looking that up, you know, before you get going on the platform. That's true. And it's a cool thing because I mean it basically just basically you pay by the minute, but everyone's hour everyone's minute by minute rate is different. Yeah. So it allows you to you can see there's some crazy people on there. I forget his name, but one of the guys from Shark Tank is on there. Yeah. Shark yeah. just like 
I don't remember, 50 bucks a minute or something like that. Like, yeah. Or maybe it was 150. I don't remember. But it's something ridiculous. Like, no one would ever buy it. Yeah, so Clarity is a good start. But I will say it only goes so far. Right. Uh, because minute by minute, like, if someone's just paying you for your time, you're actually... It's a great way to get started, but it's not a long-term strategy for growing your business. Right, because it's it takes your time, so it's not scalable, really. Yeah, so like, let's just say, for example, you're getting paid $100 an hour to do like coaching sessions. Okay, well, or $50 an hour. Let's right. just say you're getting paid $50 an hour or $100 an hour to do coaching sessions. Well, the only way to grow that side of the business is then just do more and give more of your time. Right. And if you already have other obligations, you only have a few hours a week to grow your business then that's just not sustainable. So what I recommend is once you've established Clarity and promote that someone on your website where it's really easy for someone to schedule a Clarity call with you, mm-hmm. the next thing you do is you actually need to put together some sort of packaged, targeted service. So this is where the money is in coaching and consulting. If you were to look on the website of people who are professional coaches and consultants, almost never do you see an hourly rate. What you see is like, for $2,000, I will come into your business and I will sit down with you and I'll explain all the things you're doing wrong. You know, like... and. It doesn't say, oh yeah, that's only going to take an hour, so you're paying me two thousand dollars an hour. No, right. like it's 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 selling value, and that's what you need to do. Is you need to you need to pitch the value. So, the first time I did that was when I put together that package service for people who use the Get Out His Theme. It was mm-hmm. for two hundred and ninety seven dollars. I will jump on a one hour video call with you to walk you through your website and show you how to use it. Mm-hmm. I will give you a PDF checklist of like the things you need to do to improve your website, and I'll give you a copy of every single setting on my website. Like you know, yeah. So sure, I was getting paid three hundred dollars for an hour, but I didn't say I'm charging three hundred dollars an hour. I said three hundred dollars, and here's a package, right. and people bought it. They loved yeah. it. So I have to say, like that's like again comes back to really clearly defined expectations. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, you are going to find yourself either one, under delivering to the people who you know aren't on the same page as you, or two, getting sucked into something that you weren't, you don't have the time for. Yeah, no, and we've done that before. I mean, yeah. honestly, like Danny and I have worked together on a number of different client projects, and there have been clients that you know that where things have we have had to go into expectation management mode about right. like, oh no, like we don't do that. Like you know, like we're helping you set up a landing page, but that doesn't mean that we're actually going to. Also, edit and proofread all of your copy. You know, like there, like there's a lot of things that it can get really tricky. So you need to get really clear up front in what it is that you do and the services. A great example of this is uh, my business partner and designer Thomas McGee at RileyDesign.com. When he has a service, like he has someone sign up for like a design service, like designing a website or a branding logo stuff, mm-hmm. he actually has like a survey they go through, which says so when you, before you even like talk to him, mm-hmm. you fill out the survey about like what the what you're looking for and it asks a series of questions and on there some of it's open-ended and then he sends a then he sends a follow-up to say great let's do that here's how much it would cost and then once you're ready to do it he has you sign a contract i mean once you're like done and once you sign a contract and say okay we're gonna go for this project then he sends you another survey which basically just asks you a few different questions about the project like what types of do you have examples of designs that you like that you'd like to imitate you know what types of words would you like to be used to describe this design? Like he, he's very detailed in that process. I would say you don't need to start by going that far, but you need to find like you need to you need to manage this. You need to manage the expectations up front to clarify things. So then really it's a lot about so um, we yeah, expectations and then also too having a system for this, mm-hmm. right? So on your on your back end you need to make sure that you're not reinventing the wheel each time when you're doing one of these package targeted services. You want to be able to know that you're taking in your system 
every time with each one of these people so that one, your time's maximized, but also you're bringing the value to them in a consistent way. Oh yeah. Well, and that's a, and actually that, that's a great example coming back to what I talked about, about my Get Notice Theme course, uh-huh. or I'm sorry, my Get Notice Theme service. And I'm kind of giving you a hint about what I'm going to mention, but <laughs> I started by meeting with people and I met with uh, somewhere between 20 and 30 clients. I don't remember exactly where we would jump on a video call and I'll give them a tour of the Get Notice Theme. And by the end of it, by like the 20th client, I mean, I didn't have it written anywhere, but I basically had a script. Like, I just jumped on and I went through it because I'd done it 20 times before. Right. And so that was the point where I was like, man, I should just record this. And I did. I recorded, I broke it up and recorded a bunch of different little video lessons, Mm -hmm. put that together into an online course, and then sold that. So I didn't have to do any coaching in the Get On Steam anymore. Uh I had had an evergreen product. And that's, that's actually one of the great benefits of a package targeted service is that you can turn that into a product very easily once you've done it. I mean, let's just say, for example, that your package service is jumping on a video call with someone to teach them how to uh, examine their financials. Maybe it's like how to read your financial reports in your business. You know, how to tell like cash flow or, uh, you know, balance statements and that kind of stuff. Right. Well, so once you've done that a few times, you have some great testimonials from those clients and then you turn that into a course. You know, it, it's it's something that you can scale if you change the delivery of it. But offering your time, honestly, is the easiest way to make your first $100 from your blog. Well, this is pretty cool. I mean, like, and, and, and this is what we've covered really just in the past couple of minutes mm-hmm. is is how you can go from that 100. And, I mean, you, you've talked about how this ultimately ended up in your evergreen product. Oh, yeah. And so, so I mean, it, it, I think it's probably pretty cut and dry or pretty clear, like, how quickly you can go from, you know, starting out at this 100, you know, kind of mark uh, to getting to a point where you've got, you know, recurring revenue coming in from, you know, offering, having put up a course for sale or something like that. Yeah, definitely. Now, I will say the hardest, like, if you if you are having trouble getting clients when you're offering your time, whether it's on Clarity or a package service or whatever, then you do need to go back to the drawing board, but not scrap it directly, but first you need to go, okay, answer these questions. Am I genuinely offering to solve a problem for my audience. Mm -hmm. The second question is, do they know that? Meaning, is it really obvious to your audience that you're offering a service? Is this like on a hidden page on your website or is this like front and center and you email it to people? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, how many people are actually getting to that page where you talk about the service? And then you need to look at, I mean, are you charging too much or are you offering too much? I mean, I was actually, some people are just interested in like, a really quick meeting. Maybe they don't want an in-depth five-hour, I'm daring into your business strategy session. Maybe they just want to you know, jump on the phone. And So you need to evaluate those things. I mean, and once you do that, you need to go back to your audience and honestly ask them, hey, I noticed that, you know, email them and email some people in your audience and say, hey, I noticed you did not sign up for the service. I'm, I'm curious, could you tell me why? And you can learn from that and continue to improve your services. But if you have any audience to speak of, you can sell them your time at some level. It's just, you got to figure out what that level is. Okay. So that's what I was going to ask you is, uh, what's the best way then to troubleshoot if you're, if you're feeling like you're not getting people to, to, you know, pay for your time troubleshooting. So besides that, I guess you have any other recommendations other than simply asking them straight. That seems like the obvious thing, but maybe it seems a little bit uncomfortable, you know, to be like, Hey, so no one's buying my product. Like, I mean, is there a certain way to word that? Or I mean, yeah. What are your, well, I will say we'll probably go into this in more depth in a future episode, but I'll touch on it briefly here. The first thing is when you email someone, remember that you're, as far as they know, you're just emailing them. So, right as if you're, so don't say like, hey, no one is buying my product. What you say is, 
hey, I noticed you haven't bought my product. Mm-hmm. They don't need to know that also everyone else didn't buy your product. You write an email to them and you say, hey, I noticed you didn't buy my or sign up for my service. And I'm curious, could you tell me why? Hmm. Was it something I said? You know, was it like, you know. It's a copy problem. Yeah, it's a copy problem. Yeah. <laughs> so you, when you do that, you will get some feedback. You'll get a lot of people that will not answer because they're like, well, this is weird. That's kind of too direct. You're actually asking me my opinion. Uh-huh. And so some people won't send you anything. And some people will send you like pages of like wow. feedback. Okay. And some people will just send you like three sentences and that's also okay. Or one sentence. Uh-huh. But the first thing, honestly, before you ask them, truly, the first thing you do is you need to look at your analytics. I mean, if you have a landing page that talks about your service, mm-hmm. you first thing you do is you need to check, okay, how many people view this? And if it's like 20 or less, don't be surprised that no one signed up. That means you're not getting enough people to actually hear about your service in the first place. So go to some forums and find out, start answering people's questions, and in your signature, put a link that says, oh, by the way, I offer a paid service to go in depth. Here's a link. You know, and start answering questions. Just find ways to actually, this goes back to serving your audience because that is how you build trust and build an audience, and that's how you introduce your service in the first place. Awesome. All right, well, let's go ahead and move on to strategy four because um, I'm, I'm excited to hear a little bit more about this one. Select resources that we can recommend. So you're talking about affiliate products here, right? Yeah, so I mean, essentially what I'm saying is when you're just getting started out, you should the first thing you should do is you should offer your time. And the second thing you should do is you should recommend select resources as an affiliate. Now, affiliate marketing, there's a lot of really confusing stuff around it that just some people just are really off base on it. So just to summarize, to kind of give the idea of what it is. Basically, the concept is rather than take the time to create a product yourself, you can find companies or individuals that have a product you like, recommend it to your audience, and if your audience buys it, you get a certain percentage cut of or some payment in return. So for example, I often recommend people use a small orange for hosting. For web hosting, if you're starting a new WordPress website, it's my favorite host in the world. They're super friendly. They're awesome. I think they're great. So go to me.tips slash hosting if you want to check that out. And that's the hosting account that I use. So I already pay for it. And they already have a service that is great. And I recommend them to people. I, if you were to go and sign up for an, a yearly plan with mm-hmm. a small orange, I get $50. Now, I get $50 once, but still, right. $50. Yeah. So, well, here's the thing where it gets tricky. Some people get so excited about that, and I'm guilty of this in the past, that they go, well, crap, I got to find every affiliate possible and put every single link all over my website of like everything I've ever used that may have an affiliate link. And so you might have, in a single blog post, you might have a link to a small orange, you might have a link to some stock photo site, like iStockPhoto, or you might have a link to Amazon, and you just have like everything. And the problem is, if you're just looking to get started out and build that first revenue, you need to look at these more as partnerships. You know, identify, like once you know what you know, once you've already known who is your audience, what are their problems, mm-hmm. you started serving them, it should be natural to say, okay, what do they need? And based on that, you need to select... I would say no more than two or three partners where you go, okay, these are my focus. Now, that doesn't mean you can never have another affiliate link on your website. What it does mean is that you need to focus on your two or three partners and promote them a lot. Talk about them a lot. Write blog posts on, like I've done this. I wrote a blog post on how I, or why I switched from Bluehost to a small orange. And then later, a month later, 
I put together a uh, video tutorial series called, called WordPress 101. And it walks you through setting up your first website and installing your hosting account, you know, setting up your hosting account, setting up WordPress, starting to use WordPress and blog. Mm-hmm. And in that tutorial, I recommend a small orange. I mean, they're just all over. And they're on my resources page too. So that's that's how you approach it as a, from a partnership perspective. You need to get clear on what your audience needs. So what I... So you, you talked about focus on two or three mm-hmm. for the other ones that let's you know that that I have or I don't have now but will you know have what do I what do I do with those guys do I just I be promoting them as well or where do they show up? Well, I mean, typically it's it's natural for me like if I'm if I'm talking about something in a blog post, I'm going to link to it, uh-huh. and that's whether or not I have an affiliate link. So if I'm talking about a book I read and I'm like, oh man, this book is awesome, you guys should check it out. Well, I'm already going to link to it. I might as well include my affiliate link. Mm-hmm. And Amazon, honestly, is not a great affiliate. Like, they, you get paid a really, I mean, they're like, the average affiliate pays out a 30% commission. Uh-huh. Amazon pays 6% commission. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a massive difference. Yeah. The reason why they can do that is because, like, everybody shops at Amazon. It's ubiquitous, you know, and, right. and um, so some people get really excited about that. But the reality is it's a bad affiliate program. So I would not make Amazon, like, your focus um, or, like, one of your main partners. But... It's nice. I mean, every couple months I'll get an email that's like, oh, hey, you've racked up enough affiliate income that you're going to get a gift card. You can buy other stuff on Amazon. I'm like, word. Because I don't okay. actually take the payout. <laughs> I just get a gift card and I go back and spend on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. I spend enough money on Amazon to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, so you can link those when relevant. Okay. You know what I mean? Like beneath every or beneath a lot of the photos on my blog, I think it mentions like this photo is from, you know, this photo stock company. So. It's in really tiny text. It's not distracting, right. but it's there like if someone's looking for it. Okay. Um, so you're not missing out on opportunities to do it, but you're also not creating them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree. And one another place you can do this is like your resources page. Uh-huh. Um, it's this is something that has to be done tastefully, but it is possible to on your resources page feature many different affiliates, especially if you actually um, like break up the page into different readable segments. Um, my buddy Matt McWilliams at mattmcwilliams.com is a great way of doing this where on his resources page, there's like different tabs. So you click the different tabs and you see like recommended books or software or I don't remember what the other thing is. Or actually, I think it's his own products. And that's great. If you go onto your resources page and you just literally create a list of like everything you've ever used with its affiliate link, like, like people just get turned off by that. Like yeah, they go yeah. to that and they're like, oh man, it's overwhelming. And they go away. Yeah, I feel like it would be a turn off to see that somebody... Is that I, I, I maybe this is only because I know about affiliate marketing. I feel mm-hmm. like it's, I mean I feel like more and more people know about this kind of thing now. But I feel like I would be like I would look at you as money hungry maybe if I saw yeah. a whole lot. You know. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Matt does a really good job about this on his. He has like a ton of offers there, but like I mentioned, they're broken up by tabs. But he also mentions many that he does not have an affiliate link for. It's literally just something he likes and recommends. Mm-hmm. So it that shows some tr- like it gives his audience a little bit more trust because they're like, oh man, he's recommending stuff that he doesn't make money off of, which yeah. means he's just recommending stuff that he likes. And then some of it just happens to be an affiliate. Um, right. But coming back to the, really just the core strategy of recommending select services or select resources, um, I think you need to identify what your audience needs. Um, but let's talk about an example of this real quick. Okay. So, Danny. Yes. Your target audience, a lot of them are, like you mentioned, service professionals, uh-huh. right? So what do you think are, when they go through an average process of the client. You actually mentioned this in conversation off air, but I'll bring it up now. Uh, What's a common frustration you've had working with some service professionals at home? 
Uh, well, as far as the, like, so the other day, uh, we had, and this has happened three times. I've only owned a home for a few months now, but, uh, I've had a total of three contractors come to my property and two out of three of them did not take a card. Uh, and there was also no warning ahead of time. Like, yeah, you'll need to make sure you pay for the check. I have an online bank. I don't actually have any written checks. I find the need for them almost non-existent. So yeah, so that's very frustrating for me is, uh, is, is that. So I would recommend, if I'm trying to target blue-collar people, I would recommend either Square or some other type of you know, uh, you know, payment processing that they can do right there on site uh, because those are two different people uh, who I wanted to pay, but I simply couldn't pay because they didn't have a payment processing. Yeah, so. exactly. So I think that's a great goal. That's a great example. So if your audience, in this case, was or is service professionals who are billing either hourly or project-based, then they need some sort of invoicing solving solution, 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 which helps their customers helps them, um, and makes it easy for them to accept credit or debit cards. Right. So in that case, I would recommend FreshBooks. So they've got a great affiliate program. Um, FreshBooks is a really cool service. It's an invoicing platform I've used before. I mean, this isn't like an ad for them. I'm just saying, like, it's yeah. an example. Like, this is not a sponsorship. Yeah, but they're a really great, easy-to-use invoicing solution. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can do reoccurring invoices. You can manage your expenses on there. They're not great if you're selling products. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're selling, like, a course or something like that, uh, I wouldn't use them for, like, your accounting software. Mm-hmm. But if you're just doing services, actually, they, they can do that. They're actually built to be invoicing and, like, your accounting records if you're just selling services. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think I think FreshBooks would be the perfect affiliate to use in that situation to be like, man, this is a select partner, so you're always recommending it to those people. So uh, what about, um, so for, I guess, like how many things do you think would be will, like worth demoing, I guess? I mean, should I only be putting affiliate links up for stuff that I am already using, or do you think that it's worth it to like look at some products that you're not yet using, you think may be good, demoing them, and then deciding whether or not to, to have an affiliate partnership with them? I think... It's important to say, I will say this up front, it is important that you have some level of experience with a product before you recommend it. Right. And you need to know that every time you recommend a product, your reputation is on the line to your audience. Yeah. So if I, for example, if I were to go on to your blog and I'm a new service professional and you're like, hey, you need to use like Acme financing to process credit cards with your app, mm-hmm. you know, with your phone. And I was like, okay, cool. And I sign up for Acme financing and then they have like a really ugly app their customer service is rude, and then they accidentally charge me like $300 for something I didn't sign up for. Mm-hmm. I'm pissed at Acme at that point, but I'm actually even more mad at you, Danny, mm-hmm. because you violated my trust. Right. So that's one of the dangers of affiliate marketing is that you're basically entrusting your audience to these companies. You know, I've seen this go wrong. I've seen people recommend software that or hardware where the company did something dumb and then the blogger gets blamed for it. And the reality is, instead of getting mad about that and being like, well, it's not my fault. No, you just need to accept the fact it's going to happen. Right. So whatever you recommend, you need to have faith in. So personally, I only recommend products or services that I use myself. Um, even if I've demoed it, if I don't use it on a regular basis, or if there's not been some stretch of time where I've used it on a regular basis, mm-hmm. like I'm not going to recommend it because there's too much risk involved because there's too many unknowns. Like You can demo it, and a five-minute demo, you're like, oh, this looks cool. But if you haven't spent 10 hours in there actually using it and working it and working with our customer support team, you don't really know what the customer is going to experience. So I would advise caution there. And now there's a lot of people who disagree with me. There's a lot of podcasts where you'll hear sponsors who people will pay to get sponsorships on there. And it's something that they've never used. You know, like it's a software or product that like literally they've never used. It's just someone paid them $500. Right. So they'll talk about it. I don't do that. 
Yeah. You know, you may have noticed by now, like we have a little sponsorship segment here, but they're either my own products and services or something that I do use and love. Um, so yeah. So, I mean, I have a pretty firm belief on that. Like, I think you need to, you need to know like what you're risking and the trust of your audience is not worth an extra 20 bucks, you know, here and there on an affiliate thing, the product that you're not familiar with. Totally. Well, good. Thanks for clearing that up. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about a couple other examples of uh, specific affiliate partnerships you can set up really easily so that you can use those um, um, go moving forward. Okay. So I think we already mentioned a small or just one. Like if you're looking for a hosting company, I really recommend them. And one of the reasons why I do is because they've got great customer experience. Um, they are, I mean, my website's fairly fast using them. But also they're, they're fairly cheap. I mean, they're different levels plans for different people, but you can start out with a small orange plan and you can pay, you know, a couple bucks a month. Mm-hmm. I mean, or I think if you do an annual plan with like my discount, which I guess you would need to know, use, if you do right. buy a small orange, use me, like my last name, I you get a, like a, a discount. Then it ends up being like, I think like 40 something bucks for a year yeah. of hosting. So, I mean, that's great for web hosting. Whether, even if you don't know, like those of you listening, like I, if you, whether or not you know that, like that's actually a great price for really fast hosting. So they're great. If you were using them and want to recommend them, they have a great affiliate program. So me.tip slash hosting is where you can learn about them. FreshBooks, we already mentioned, right. they're a great invoicing software. If you're working with service professionals, FreshBooks also has a really easy affiliate program to sign up for. Um, and you can learn about that at me.tips slash FreshBooks. One thing I will say is, um, I guess I should have prefaced this before, but some affiliate programs are easier to get into than others. So a lot of them, it's just, if you're using the software, it's like there's just a link in your account that's like, oh, here's your referral link or your affiliate link. But um, sometimes you have to fill out a long application or email them and you know maybe they come back and they say, um, no, you can't promote us as an affiliate because like, you know, you're too new or whatever. You know, that's happened before. Right. Uh, even where I'm at now, I get turned on my affiliate program sometimes. And that's just the reality. So, but these ones we're mentioning are really easy to get into. Um, and one more I'll mention is Fiverr. Uh, if you're not familiar with Fiverr, go to me.tip slash Fiverr with two R's, F I V E R R to learn more. But Danny, we were talking about that earlier with your clients. Why don't you talk briefly about what Fiverr is? Sure. Yeah. So Fiverr is a place where you can go, um, and, uh, find freelancers who are able to do very specific items or very specific tasks. Um, and, uh, it's a really great place to find a niche, you know, for a specific uh, task that you need done, but it's not something that takes up a ton of your time. Maybe it takes up a little bit of your time, but you just don't want it on your plate anymore. Fiverr is a great place to go for that, but you can really get a smorgasbord of things there. I mean, like you name it and you will find uh, something that can be done there. Specifically from uh, where I want to use this for, for the, or the way that I want to, I guess, present this to my audience is that um, you know, the, a lot of the people who I'm targeting or speaking to my audience are, are those who are in, um, the uh, the labor field or the labor the uh, blue collar, and so uh, using uh, agents from Fiverr you know to be able to do freelancing um, you know for like different admin tasks or maybe organizing data or maybe sending thank you cards or something like that um, is really good and also too uh, my audience is very much you know they're small businesses very tight on costs so this Fiverr is a perfect uh, example of something that uh, an affiliate program that I would want to be a part of because um, it's I know exactly how I can um, you know or how I can I guess give guidance to my audience on how they can take advantage of Fiverr and really get a lot of value out of it. Yeah, can you give a specific example of a Fiverr service you've seen before? Or sure. Maybe so yeah, use? well I mean one that we used before, um, and this is actually from my the current company that I work for currently. Uh, we used Fiverr once for uh, we had a guy write a, a script to pull um, uh, uh, 
information off of a government website. So like a coding script. Thing. Yeah, like a coding script, yeah. So basically what it was is what we wanted to mail um, people who had had code violations in the in the area. And uh, all that information is public domain. You can go and get it. But obviously it would take a long time to copy and paste all of that data onto a spreadsheet. So I paid, uh, I think it was about 90 bucks, and this guy wrote a script, and we just executed that script, and it pulled all that information off, and now I have a new mailing list. That's great. Um, and so, I mean, that's just one example. Um, I mean, you can go on there to use, uh, we've used, also used it to dire- uh, design direct mail. So that's another thing that um, I know that my audience uh, has, you know, is very hesitant about uh, maybe you know, mar- doing any type of marketing really at all. Uh, and uh, helping them to realize that it's not that hard to do direct mail. You can have you know someone find a script like that. You can pay someone a, a couple bucks to to purchase that uh, code to get that script. You can also pay somebody else a little bit of money to design some direct mail pieces for you. Mm-hmm. And there you go. You know, pay, boy, paying both those people together definitely be under two hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, and uh, and you can use that to execute a marketing campaign that otherwise you would have felt was outside your grasp or too much work. Um, and then also to provide a little bit more clarification on the whole Fiverr thing, it is based on the $5 concept, paying $5 to do something. Um, but be aware, I mean, like, think about it realistically. Uh, no one's going to be able to, you know, pay all their bills with making $5 at a time. And some of these tasks are taking a lot longer than an hour. So it starts at 5 but most of the freelancers that you're going to find yeah. on there have different um, – uh, other services that they provide on top of maybe that very basic one. So you end up paying more than $5, but the concept is great. Yeah. Um, and uh, and you can certainly find some things that you can definitely just get done for five bucks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it might be like for $5, just as an example, it'll say something like, I will design a book cover for you for $5. But then it might say, add $25 if you want that to be 3D. You know, add another $5 if you want the original, like, Photoshop file. You know, like, there's... This is an example. Um, so yeah. So anyways, those three are great ones to start with, depending upon your audience. But again, you have to come back to what does your audience need. Um, oh, and I guess one thing we should talk about is how you find out if they have an affiliate program. So, like, if you're looking around at your business and you go, "Man, what's something I recommend all the time?" Well, with your clients, maybe there's a specific software or hardware that you recommend. The first thing I recommend you do is just put the name in Google. Just put the name of that company and then just the term affiliate program. And sometimes a page will come up that like they literally they link to it nowhere on their website, but it just comes up through search results. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't work, try referral program. It's the same thing, just different terminology. And if that doesn't work, contact your support team. I, I, there's actually been companies before where I've contacted them and they're like, hey, we actually do have an affiliate program. We just haven't really publicized it. Mm-hmm. So here you can promote this. You know what I mean? So that's how I'd recommend. And um, and actually, uh, this is how it, I don't know if you, those of you that are listening, some of you may be familiar with. Jeff Walker from jeffwalker.com and he has like a, he runs a massive online business but that's actually how he got started his first blog and it was an, it was just about a newsletter for teaching people how to how to do trading with stocks and the first time so, like someone contacted them and they said hey we want to promote the free trial of our our news or our journal it was like a it was like a newsletter like a physical printed newsletter this was 20 years ago for um, like stock trading tips and they said, and he put a little line in his newsletter that said, if you want to get a free trial, like click here. And everyone that signed up for a free trial, he got seven dollars and fifty cents. Mm-hmm. Like that was like that was like their agreement. And he had the first time he did it, he got a hundred people to sign up. And like wow. that was the first time he ever made money online was from that. And now he runs like a hundred million dollar online business. But um, this is still totally something you can do. It's if because it because in this case, it, this was a stock tra- a well known stock trading magazine. And he was emailing people who were on his newsletter to learn about stock trading tips, right? right? 
super targeted, right? No wonder it went well. No wonder it was successful. So you got to think about that. What do you have that you can do that, or that you can offer, or what do other people have that you can offer that helps your audience? And that's what it comes down to making your first hundred dollars online for blogging by offering your time and recommending select resources. Yeah. So this is great. I mean, all of these things can literally be implemented, you know, right now. Mm -hmm. These are all, this is, this is the point of this podcast is to talk about the small strategies that you can put in place right now, start making money immediately. And I think seeing that $100 mark, um, is definitely going to be, you know, really motivating, really satisfying time. Definitely. Definitely. So one more affiliate I'll mention just cause I just thought of, remember them now as being like my favorite affiliate is actually ConvertKit. If you're talking to an audience that does anything with email marketing, um, ideally if it's in like the blogging world, but even if even if not, I mean, ConvertKit is a great email marketing software. You can learn about them, of course, at meese.tips slash ConvertKit. <laughs> and um, they, uh, they're my favorite affiliate because they do something that's fairly rare, which is they pay you recurring commission. So if you refer someone who signs up for ConvertKit through your affiliate link, like many people have through mine, thank you, um, then you not only get a commission, like you get like 30% of what they pay that first month, um, but then you get a commission every month that they're a customer. So you, that allows you, I mean, to, that helps you encourage those people to stay customers of that product and then you make get commission every month. So that's a great way to grow your business very passively. That's something rare and hard to find where someone's paying you recurring commission, um, but it is possible. Another example of where you might find that is uh, an online course. Like if you're promoting someone's online course that or a membership site, an online membership site where someone pays like say $30 a month to be part of a membership site, if you can get an affiliate program for that membership site, typically those are recurring commissions. So you get a certain amount every month as long mm. as that person stays a member. So just want to mention that as well, like one last technique that if you can find something in your in niche, in your area that has recurring commissions, that's gold. Right. Yeah. So yeah, as long as you find the thing that let, that you start now is really, that's, that's, that's the crucial part. Cool. Get going on it. Yeah. All right. So you guys know what to do now. So to make your first hundred dollars from blogging, go out there, offer your time, recommend select resources, and uh, we'll talk to you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Unleash Your Blog podcast. If you found today's episode useful or motivating, head on over to unleashyourblog.today where you can download a free copy of our blog to business action guide. You will also have the opportunity to leave us your online business questions so we can answer those in future episodes. Once again, that website address is unleashyourblog.today. Make sure to subscribe and each week you will hear a new episode from us filled with practical examples, tools, and tips on how you can build an online business from your blog today.